0: Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. But well, we've been busy with a sermon series called Perspective, and I hope you've been blessed by that. And week one and two has been amazing. And all through this sermon series, we've gone, th- we've we're busy going through the Book of Philippians. And uh, so I want to invite you to open your Bible. To the book of Philippians. We're going to look at Philippians 3, the third chapter of Philippians, and I'm going to read out of the new living translation. Whatever um, translation you're reading from, the scriptures will be here on the screen, and you can follow that if you don't have your Bible with you, or maybe go to your Bible. If you have your Bible, it's always great to, to make notes, to get a notebook, to jot down one or two things that really, really touches your heart. I mean, when you listen to things. You only remember about 10 to 15%. But when you listen, write down and read afterwards, you remember over 70% of a sermon. So I want to encourage you, go and write some stuff down, open your Bible, make some marks and follow us as God change our perspective through this series. Come on. So the title of my sermon today is Seeing from a Different Perspective. Seeing from a Different Perspective. Maybe you can turn to someone and say, are you seeing from a different perspective by now? And it's something good. Now... Before I start this morning, I heard this story about a man, a blind man with a guide dog, walking into a grocery store. And as he was walking into the grocery store, he walked right into the middle of the store. He grabbed the dog by the tail and started swinging the dog around. And the store manager thought, what is going on? And he walked over to the man and said, excuse me, sir, uh, without getting hit by the dog. He said, excuse me, sir, can I help you with something? And the man said, no, no, no worries. I'm just taking a look around. <laughs> I thought it was very funny. I hope you are thinking it's very funny. But let's be honest today. We see things from perspectives of, in our lives. Now, if, you look at, if I'm looking at myself, I see things that none of you see in life. I really do. I see things that none of you see in life. But the reality is that all of you, each and every one of you, see things that I don't see in life. And you might ask, why, Henny? (laughs) And and I'm going to give you the because. And this is the first point I want to make today. If you're making notes, the why is because we all, what we've experienced in life, determine what we see. Listen carefully. What you have experienced in life will determine what you see in life. It's very important. For example... I grew up in sports. I grew As I grew up, I grew up in a family who loved sports, who did sports. I mean, I can remember I did every sport at school that you, I can imagine. If there was an activity sport-wise, I did it. I mean, I love sports, loved it. I mean, I will forever love sport. Now, I, as I grew up, I studied sports science. I got a master's degree in sports science. Um, I worked as a, as a mental coach, a sports psychologist with two, three professional teams. I traveled with the teams. I even coached not full-time, but part-time. I coached a lot of athletes in my life. I love sport. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she doesn't know I'm saying this, but my wife, on the other hand, <laughs> she loves music. She is just into music. Now, she did sport. She was a good runner. She played some good netball. But her, all her focus in her life was full-time was music. That was her focus. Now, most of you don't know this, but she's actually a qualified performance pianist. And she graduated a music degree with distinction. And she was one of the top eight pianists or eight musicians qualifying or, or um, receiving her grade eight UNISA exam. And she was amazing. I mean, being the top eight in a country, she's just amazing. So, so, we will be at a show. And we will go to a show and watch a music show. And I mean, it will be amazing. Afterwards, she will come to me. It's like, man, I'm so frustrated. The music was off. The musicians was off tone. The, the instruments was this and that. And I thought, what are you talking about? I mean, I had tears in my eyes. It was so beautiful. But see, she heard something. that or She saw something I didn't see. Because she had experienced things that I'd never experienced. Or well, was the same when we watched a rugby game together. Or some sport, and, and I would see some things on the field. And I would mention this and that, and she would turn to me and say, how, how did you see that? And I would say, Well, I don't know, I just grew up that way. I just, I'm, I'm so used to sport. You see, the same thing, I've experienced things and see things that she never experienced. And see, it's the same with church. When I walk into any church, I see things that, that I see, it's like, Wow, that is really working well. Or maybe, oh, that needs some improvement. Now, most of you come to church because it's just church and it's supposed to be amazing and I hope it is amazing. But see, you don't see what I see because you haven't experienced through 20 years of what I've experienced in church. Maybe when I open the bonnet of my car and something is wrong with my engine, and I've got that look on my face like, like a, a tick who lost his cow, you know, something like that. <laughs> And I have no idea, but the mechanic can come in and within two minutes he can sort out the problem. I thought, how do you do that? Because he's experienced something and see things that I don't experience and, and, and can see. Now the reality is this. I see things that some of you don't see and, and you see all of you see things that I don't see. Because what we've experienced determine what we see. What we've experienced in life, we will see. Now, in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul are talking to some of the people in church. And it was a church that he really loved. We've, we've looked in the, the previous two weeks as a church he planted. He loved this church. He loved this people. And because he actually started this church, because of his experiences in life, he saw some things that they didn't see, that the people in that church didn't see at all. But he started seeing some things And hearing some things and report backs that started worrying him. You see, Paul was probably one of the probably the one man who experienced more sinfulness than most. But he also is probably one one of the only men who experienced more of God's goodness and his God's glory than any of those men. Now, because of all his experiences, because of everything he experienced in life. He saw things that most of this Philippians or the church members in the Philippians church did not see. See Paul said to Timothy. and If you read 1 Timothy 1. He said that I am the chief of all sinners. He knew what sin is all about. He was the chief of all sinners. Why? He said he killed Christians. He killed Jesus followers. And he knew the darkness of God that you have to have doing something like that. You see Paul was beaten and stoned and whipped and And by by who? By sinful men. He knew the sinfulness that came from that. And now, writing Philippians, he was in prison. He was in a Roman prison for preaching the gospel. See, he knew what was the impact and experience of a sinful culture. He knew it. But at the same time, he experienced the goodness of God and the glory of God like like none other. See, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he saw the glory of God so powerfully. There was one moment in the scriptures he he spoke about being called up to the third heaven. He literally went to heaven, saw heaven, saw God, and he wrote about it. He had experiences of God's glory and of His goodness that no other man had. You see, Paul experienced some amazing things. He had some ups and he had some downs. And, and through his experiences he wanted to help the Philippian church see what they couldn't see. He wanted to help them. And if you follow the series, you would remember that Paul wrote this letter out of prison. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher and instead he went as a prisoner. And some of you would say, oh man that is horrible. But he was looking from a different perspective. And he saw things that people didn't really see because his perspective was different. Now let's read together. Philippians 3 verse 1. If you've got your Bibles and the New Living Translation it says the following. Whatever happens my dear brothers and sisters listen to this. Rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. That means that he has been telling these things to them before. So he says, I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. Isn't that powerful? To safeguard your faith. Now Paul realized that some of the members of the church were very vulnerable at that stage. They were vulnerable of the lies of the enemy of men and women that, that uh, told them things that, that took them in different paths and because of that and because of what he has experienced through life he saw the dangers um, of different things that could slip into what they believe as Christians. As Jesus followers so he wanted to give them the truth as a safeguard he wanted to safeguard their faith and make sure that they don't change what they believe in what he taught them now let me give you a bit of a background to understand where Paul came from before he wrote Philippians 3 now Right after Jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven, what happened? The believers started taking the gospel out. They started taking the gospel out. They told everyone. They started missionary work to everyone because Jesus said, go to the ends of the world. Be this, make disciples of nations and teach them to obey me. And I mean, they went out. And if you read in Acts 1 to 7, you see that the first place they took the gospel out was to the Jews. To the Jewish believers. And if you read in Acts 8, the people started taking the gospel to the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans was, was, was interesting. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They couldn't stand each other. The Jews actually called the Samaritans dogs. I mean, how, how bad is that? That somebody before called you a dog. I mean, I wouldn't like that. But they literally hated them so much they called them dogs. But but if you if you look at the his, historical records of Samaritans, they were half Jew and half Gentile, so they believed a little bit of the gospel or of, of the Jewish law, but not everything. So half Jew and half Gentile and and. So, so the people reached out to them, but there was never clarity that can they now do it? Can they reach out to them if they're not Jew or not? There was not a lot of clarity. But if you go on to, to Acts 10, the believers started taking the gospel out to total non-believers. Total non-believers. So this thing started out with the Jews go to the Samaritans. And suddenly when they hit the non-believers, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin said, Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. You can't do this. See, Gentiles can't become Christians. They said they first have to become Jewish and then follow the Jewish law, and then where they can be called Christians. Now, one of the big arguments in this time, and in this this time, when they people were reaching out and they read one of the biggest arguments in that time was the argument of circumcision. Were they circumcised or not? <laughs> now Think about how tough the cell is for people that hear the gospel for the first time. And you stop like, okay, now you want to receive Jesus, but just um, come to this side. Let me just take the church knife and let's just sort you out with some circumcision and make sure that you are a Jewish believer and then we can call you Christian. I mean, how many people would like to believe when they hear that? I mean, that would be the tough one. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I would run. I was like, nothing about this do I want. Now, there was some tension rising because of this. Everywhere between, between all the believers, there was really serious tension rising. Can a Gentile just become a Christian? Or do they now need to first follow the law, become Jewish, etc., etc.? I mean, there were was, was so many things that was hanging in the air. So then in Acts 15, they organized this huge Jewish leaders conference where they battled it out. And, and spoke about day after day about what is the right thing to do. So they decided, long story short, they decided that, that yes, to follow the Jew, um, you don't have to follow the Jewish law to become Christian. And that was amazing because that set Paul up and so many other missionaries up to do missionary work to people who've never heard about Christ, who is non-Christian all over the world. I mean, that's where the missionary journeys of Paul and all those guys started out. And the message was this. The message was all you need is Christ to be right with God. That was the message. All you need is Christ to be right with God. Now apart from this, apart from all this and all this thing that happened in Acts 15 and and the Jewish leader said, okay, it's okay, you can go. Apart from that, there was still this very extreme Jewish group called the Judaizers. They were extreme Judists. Uh, not Jewish Jewish people and they did not compromise on the law they said I don't care what the leader says we will not compromise on the law and they were so aggressive that people had to keep the law and had and what they did is they preached circumcision you have to be circumcised you have to follow the strict rules to become a Christian (laughs) now these guys were were sneaky They followed Paul and his missionary journeys. And everywhere Paul went, they went afterwards and said what Paul said was great. It's amazing. But you need to remember, you still need to follow the law. You still need to be circumcised. You still need to be a Jewish follower and and then still believe what Paul said. So they brought some confusion in this thing. And that's what happened in Philippian church. Now because of this, Paul Paul saw some dangers in the Philippian church that they didn't see and in Philippians 3 he shows us a few dangers that 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 they should have been or should be aware of and i want to just look at two of those this morning are you ready now number 1 the number one danger that paul said to them that i want you to be very careful about was number one is don't trade your grace for legalism don't trade your grace that you receive from jesus and what what have we showed you what we have given you for becoming just becoming legalized again don't be so legal that you miss jesus now if you're like me you probably would have asked straight away it's like what do you mean legalism (laughs) what does that mean now most of the, the most simple definition for legalism is the following it's to substitute relationship for rules to substitute the relationship that we have for god with rules I don't don't want relationship to get close to you, God. I'll follow rules to get close to you. You see, legalism says that I can be made right with God by doing or not doing a set of rules. See, It's all about rules. And it could be, if you bring it into our context, it could be biblical rules. It could be my own man-made rules that I made up it could be Jewish rules, it could be the rules of your church that you fellowship and it could be etc etc. You see it doesn't matter what rules it is, it is substituting relationship with God through Jesus for rules that we follow. and, and, And that is so dangerous if you go there and that's exactly what Paul said to these guys, don't Come to this dangerous place where you substitute the relationship that you that Jesus gave you for the rules you want to follow. Look at verse 2. Philippians 3, verse 2. It said out, it says very then said, watch out for those dogs. <laughs> no, just stop there. It is quite amazing. You remember the Jewish people called the Samaritans dogs? And they, they literally were dishonoring them and said, now Paul comes and he calls this Judaizers. He calls them dogs. It's just a slap back in their face. And he said, listen, don't listen to those dogs. I mean, these guys who want to bring you back to rules and take you away from relationship. And then he said, he said um, the following. He said, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Isn't that amazing? He said, the people, he's talking about people, these Judaizers who mix rules and grace with each other. He said, I mean, they are evil. They are mutilators of flesh. I mean, that's gross. He's talking about circumcision. And and he's saying, don't be like that. Don't worry about those things. What is important is not that. Now, listen to what he says in verse 3 and 4. Are you ready? There we go. It says, verse 3, he says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Not what I've done. Not my things that I do or everything. No, no. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done. Already. Finished. Done for us. Then look at it. It says, We put no confidence in human effort. No confidence in human effort. What I can do. What I think. If I do. Rules, rules, do, do, do. Works. And then he says, We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could indeed if if others have reasons for for confidence in their own efforts i have even more now paul comes and he boasts a bit he said listen man if you want to talk about human effort i mean you i mean don't come close to me i've i've done it i mean i have the most i can show you the most human effort that anybody has ever done now paul says and, then, and let me just back to it. He says that because we were circumcised in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we do not place our confidence in what we can do. We do not place our confidence in what we can do. We place our confidence in what Jesus has done already. And he said to the guys, "You need to, guys, you need to see this. Don't miss this." See, in verse 4, he says, hey, if there's anyone who could, who could have confidence in his own effort. Listen, man, I'm the man. I'm the man. I have put every confidence in my effort that I've made. And then And then he, he got more. He said, that, listen, I've got more reason to boast than any of you. Because I have been there. And then verse 5, he comes. Verse 5 and 6. And he gives a, a religious resume of what does it look like to be successful in a worldly standard, or in a religious following rule standard? Listen to this, verse five and six. He says, "I was circumcised when I was eight years old, eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin." I mean that's, that's serious um, accolades. He says, "A real Hebrew, if there was any, ever was one." I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded or sorry, who demand the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I mean, this is quite a resume right here. I mean, everybody who's like, I, mean, I can't put my resume against this. I mean, Paul saw it all. He experienced it all. And therefore, he saw more things than any one of us could see. You see, Paul just gave us a whole list of the successful things that you needed to accomplish in the religious law of that time. You see, he ticked every box that there was to tick. I mean, he was there. You see, he said he was born an Israelite from the Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he was born an Israelite. Then he said, and, and, and with that, did he even mention he was even a Roman citizen. But then he said he was so zealous that he killed those who was following Jesus he was so zealous about the law of the Jews that he killed the people who didn't follow this law and then lastly he said listen I was a Pharisee and I was one of the top Pharisees and I followed the law to the finest detail without fault And this is very important I didn't make any mistake without fault now, this is quite a resume but let me give you this resume maybe if Paul gave it in our terms In our time, see, Paul would have maybe said, listen, my dad was Billy Graham and my mother was Mother Teresa. I mean, I was dedicated, I was baptized, I was stamped, I was sealed in church. He said, I went to the best Christian school and university and I got my doctor's degree in theology. I mean, that's quite a resume if you think about it. Now, Paul said, listen, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. There was nothing you could tell me about following rules. I mean, I was the king of following rules. I was there. But the people of that time knew that when you said that you were a Pharisee, <laughs> you, just, you didn't just follow the Ten Commandments. No, no, no. See, the Pharisees, and to be accurate, had 613 rules and commandments to follow. I mean, that's, that's 602 more than the normal Ten Commandments. 613 rules and commandments they had to follow strictly without fault now this was I mean this was really crazy now let me just give you three of those you're going to laugh at me but this, is, this was really it number one they, one of the rules said you're not allowed to eat an egg laid by a chicken on the Sabbath you're not allowed you have to throw that egg out man I mean I don't know if they can throw it out because that's also work I mean, you're not allowed to eat. I don't even, I mean, that's like, you're not allowed to go to KFC on a Sunday. Sorry, because that's that's work. They're working. No, no. Rule number two, listen to this. You're going to laugh. You see, if you got bitten by a mosquito on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to scratch it because it would be work. I mean I would make some money. I don't know about you, but I would sell some tabard on a Saturday before that Sunday, before that Sabbath. I mean I would sell all those things. So I just use this because you don't want a mosquito to bite you, man. I mean that is ridiculous. I and mean, then look at number three. This is one for the ladies. This is especially one for you. you you were not allowed to look in a mirror. Or any kind of reflective glass on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair and you might be tempted to pluck that thing out and might be work. I'm I'm serious. You're laughing. I think my wife's laughing. You're laughing. I know you're laughing. But that was really it. That was the craziness of the rules that they had to to obey to be without fault. To be in right standing with God. to, To be seen as righteous. See that's ridiculous right? Now who would think obeying those things would keep you right with God? Who would think that today? But let's translate these rules into our own context today. You ready? I mean, It's always good to translate these things into our own context to see the perspective better. See, you can say, well I'm right with God because I never miss church. I go to all the services there is. I even go to Bible study. I do everything. Maybe you say that, listen, I pray for an hour a day. And I know you only pray for 58 minutes. So I must be more righteous than you. Or maybe you say, I don't drink any alcohol. I don't listen to any secular music because that's from the devil. Now I've been there. <laughs> I'm just saying these things. I have been there. And I promise you that none of those things, I felt more right with God than I felt when I When I experience the grace, the true grace of God. So how many times in our lives do we try to follow religious rules to be right with God or to feel more religious? Come on. Let's just do these things. And if I do all these things, I might feel more Christian. But deep in my heart. Now I'm not saying rules is wrong. I want you to understand me very clearly. I'm not saying rules is wrong. Rules is great. But to believe that rules will make you more religious and keep you from God's punishment, that is law. And that is far away from grace. And what did Paul says, "Don't don't let your grace be removed by being legalized. Don't let legalism remove the grace that God has for us. Now, listen to this. Legalism will do two things to you. Very important, it will do two things. Firstly, it will lead you to false guilt. When you do something wrong, or when you sin accidentally, or when you did a sin, and, I mean, and number two is, it will lead you to false confidence. Now let's look at it quickly. We do something wrong, and then we beat ourselves up so much um, for not, not doing, I mean, you'd be, I mean, listen, have you ever done something wrong, and you know, oh, it's sin, and you start beating yourself up with guilt for doing that wrong? And then you end up doing nothing for God because you feel too guilty. I, I mean, I can't read my Bible today. I feel too guilty. I'll read it tomorrow. I'll, I don't pray today because I feel, I feel so guilty when I pray. Even, not, even worse, I, I can't go to church because I feel so guilty about what I did this week. You see, it is false guilt. It keeps you away from, from God's heart and it pulls you into legalism. Now the flip side of this coin is false confidence. This is what legalism does. It gives you false confidence when somebody says, Hey, look at me. I'm better than those Christians. I'm much better than you. I go to the right church. You better come to the right church. You're in the wrong church. Or maybe you can say, it's like, Listen, we're doing worship the right way. And everyone else is doing it the wrong way. <laughs> does it sound familiar? I've been there as well. You really. it? I speak out of experience. Now, Paul said, be careful of that. Be very careful of this. Because you haven't experienced what I've experienced. You haven't experienced the sinfulness of sin and rules and everything. And you haven't experienced the total grace and glory of God that I've experienced. So I want to help you see what I see. You see, legalism will suck you in and blind you to the grace of God intended for us to grow in, it will it will suck you out of the place of grace and blind you for not to to not see. See if you got get stuck in a place of guilt because of rules you feel you didn't follow or things you you should you feel you should have. Maybe it's time to get free from that. Maybe it's time this morning where God is pressing a button where you feel that maybe I'm so stuck into rules in my life that I'm. Missing the grace and following the legalism side of rules. Now, the second danger that Paul speaks about and he warns this Philippian church about, the second one, if you're making notes, it says, Watch out for worldly distractions. Watch out for worldly distractions. Now, Paul wrote a few in a few of his letters about distractions. Don't be distracted. He said, Don't let the things of this world distract you remember romans 12 and all those amazing scriptures that he says don't let don't be distracted get be focused now i don't know about you but i easily get distracted by things that don't really matter (laughs) so many times i catch myself and i get distracted by things like oh i wouldn't i didn't want to do this i missed the thing that i actually came here to do i get distracted by things sometimes i watch the weather or just Switch the TV on to watch the weather and I get a text just as the weather starts. And as I'm into this text to reply, I miss the weather. I was like, oh, oh man, I missed it. I remember so well um, when I was uh, a bunch of years back. I remember me and Salumi was just, well, was, well, we were married a couple of years. But I got into mountain biking. I love mountain biking. And, and, um, and I wanted to upgrade my bicycle. So I sewed my old, old bike. And I saw a new bike, and I really wanted to buy this bike. And I and I trusted God. I Said, Lord, I trust you to buy this bicycle. It's only this much money, which was a lot of money for us in that time. And uh, I'm trusting you. And I found this bike, and I said to the guy on, on, on Gumtree or somewhere, and I said, Listen, can you keep the bike for me? I'll, I'm, I'm taking it. I'll probably have the money within a week or two. I'm just just uh, waiting for money to come to to come loose, you know, or to to be. Uh, that i can receive it you know and and i waited and waited and after a week nothing and after 10 days nothing and i started sweating and i was like man i'm gonna lose this bike i really want this bike and um and then i realized like i'm just gonna go to fnb or to a bank and i'm gonna i'm gonna just take out a loan i'm gonna buy this bike and i know god's gonna pay the loan (laughs) does it sound familiar (laughs) so i went to the bank and i um, i applied for a loan and, um, and the, the woman said to me, oh, man, with your salary, you easily get this loan. It's not a problem. And, and there was in the morning, afternoon, she called me and said, listen, she said, listen, your loan was, was not approved. Um, can you just maybe redo it? She doesn't understand it. So I redid it over the phone with her. And she called me the next morning, said, man, she doesn't know. But it's still not approved. I mean, by that time, I was frustrated. You know? So I said, listen, let me just come to the bank. And I'll just sort it out right now with you. I mean, I was frustrated. I mean, I was, uh, I was up there, you know. I, I wasn't thinking clear anymore. So I went to the bank and I walked into the woman and she was sitting there. And, and I sat there and said, okay, listen, can you just tell me what is wrong here? Can, I mean, she said, sir, I don't know. I mean, I've done numerous applications and, and people with smaller salary packages and you have got this loan and I don't know. And I said, but you just figure it out, man. Just do that, you know. I was so focused. on I need this bike. And as I was sitting there, God spoke to me so clearly. He said, Henny, have you looked at this woman? And for the first time since I, since I sat there, for 10 minutes, I saw that her eyes were red, bloodshot. She, Her nose was running. She didn't look well. And I thought, God said, won't you pray for her? She's sick. And I thought, the first thought in mind it's like lord i'm not here to pray i need this money i want this thing and i realized okay lord let me just i'm 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 missing something here so i stopped her and i said listen why don't you just just look at me quickly are you okay do you feel fine and she had it got a tear in her eye and she said no i don't feel well i can't smell i don't feel well but i can't afford to take leave i need to work so I said listen i just can i just pray for you don't worry about this loan thing can i just pray for you so I prayed for her and in a moment God healed her. Her eyes were normal. Her nose were open. It was literally, I mean, she was, her eyes were this big. She couldn't believe what just happened. And I said to her, listen, won't you just leave the loan? I mean, just fine. God just spoke to me. So I'm, I'm being distracted by worldly things and I'm missing God in this moment. I'm missing what God wants to do. And I left, I never took the loan. God supplied the money two weeks after that had the bike, loved the bike, and um, having a new bike, I mean, it's just amazing. And uh, th- this was not a woman who had corona. That was, was 10 years ago. <laughs> so just to make it clear. Now, very important. See, it's so easy to be distracted by the worldly things. And in the process, we miss the things that are so important in life. Have you been distracted by worldly things and you missed the things that is most important? The godly things, what God wants to do through your life, because we so many times just want to receive and get and and accomplish that we miss that awesome moments. Now, in verse 7, Paul speaks about this. Let's look at verse 7 to 8. He says, I once though thought these things were valuable. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Because of what Christ has done. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 8 he says. Yes everything else is worthless. When compared with, with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Man let that sink in quickly. Everything is worthless. Except one thing. And that is to know Jesus. Know God. Know Christ Jesus my Lord. See Paul said that everything he accomplished in life. As a fair Pharisee or as a missionary. He says, all those things, in, 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 is nothing of that compares to knowing Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Isn't that powerful? Paul said this is the most important experience any of us will ever have. Not just obeying rules, but knowing Him personally. He said, don't let the rules distract you. By knowing but to know God more intimately in life. He says that, that this experience will change your perspective to such a degree that nothing else will be more important in your life. And I know things are important in our lives. We need to live and we need to eat and we need to have a car and a house. And I know those things are important. But he says it can't be more important than knowing Christ. Than knowing who he is. Now let, let's look at verse 8. And you will see how much this statement... Has impacted Paul's perspective. Verse 8. It says. For his sake. I have discarded everything else. Continuing it. I'm sorry. Counting it all as garbage. Garbage. So that I could gain Christ. No, no, Just stop here. The word garbage. On certain translations. It says rubbish. This word. is actually translated from the Greek. As the word skubala. Skubala. Now the word skubala in the, in the Greek, it means dung. Dung, like, it's actually the worst words for it if you listen to it. It's like you can almost say skubala happens. It will actually, it will give you a bit of a better perspective. This is how confident Paul felt in this thing. He said, literally, he said that everything is skubala compared to knowing Christ. See, he says the things of this world, the rules and those things are dumb compared to Christ. Paul said, everything I thought was important isn't important anymore. It's like people who get a near death experience. Have you ever, I don't know if any one of you ever came to that. If you have a near death experience, suddenly after that, you get a different perspective on life. I remember when, when, uh, when me and Salomi got the twins. They were four months old. We, we, uh, we went on a weekend trip to, um, to her parents to visit them in kronstadt close to where we, uh, uh, where we went in ministry in potterstrom and, and on our way there, the twins were four months old. They were strapped in, and we were on our the way there, and on our the way there, this, there was a dam that we passed on a mine excavation mine, and. And I always know as we drove past there a couple of times, you know, there, was, um, there was a very bushy area and you had to go into a dip and you, it's about a 500 meter stretch of road as you come out of the dip and there was a bushy area and there was always kudu and some, some other animals there. And I knew then, and as we were coming down that thing that day, suddenly as I, we, we went into that dip, I saw four kudu right in front of me and as I looked next to me, I saw four Kudu come running straight at the car. And I still don't know until today how we missed all those Kudus. Because they would come running. Like eight or nine Kudus. Big, big things. And four of them went right in front of our car. And the other four just literally scratched the back of our car. And we literally just missed them. Now in that moment, (laughs) you have the chills all over. I mean, like time stands still realizing that this could have been very, very bad. This could have been life-threatening when those things hit a car and you're going 100, 120 kilometers an hour. Now, when we realize just how short life is, suddenly all of the worldly distractions don't matter so much. Have you been there? I mean, suddenly things stop and you realize that all these things that I worry about doesn't matter anymore so much. See, we consider it a loss. We consider it scubula compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. See, it brings it into perspective, doesn't it? Now let's finish with verse 9 this morning. Verse 9 says the following. He says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Isn't that so powerful? See, here Paul, Paul shares his secret. He says, I'm a man who sits in a Roman prison and I'm still on writing a letter filled with joy, filled with encouragement, filled with love to people that I really love. He says, listen, it's, it's nothing that comes out of your own righteousness, the own rules, the own things that you want to do. It all comes through righteousness. The righteousness comes through faith in Christ. See, he moves it from my own effort what Christ has done and through faith in Christ I become righteous we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus see his perspective was to know Christ and nothing else was more important nothing else isn't that amazing he also says I become righteous through faith in Christ not by my own works as I said now Paul was seeing life from this perspective because of his experiences What have you experienced in your life? you remember that? All those things, it will help you see differently in life. But sometimes, through all our experiences, it made us see things that that took us on a rabbit trail. And therefore God had to change our perspective so that we see from a different perspective. Not from legalism, but from grace. And if we see the grace perspective, it frees us frees us. It's so amazing that we can learn from Paul's experiences and see from his perspective. And from his perspective change our perspective. Now maybe you realize today that man Henny, I've been looking, I've been seeing from the wrong perspective. I've been missing this moment. There's so many worldly distractions and worldly things that distracted me in my life. And I realize that I've lost my temper, I've been driving Toward things that doesn't really matter. It's important, but it doesn't really matter compares to Christ. Maybe the rules and the works and the guilt kept you away from truly knowing God. I've been there. But I realized that I've been chasing success in sport. I've been chasing chasing professionalism and and more um, more sponsorships and more money. I've been chasing all these things, and I've in, in part of it. Love Jesus, but I've missed Him. I've missed His grace. And I've tried to work myself closer to Him. Now it's not too late. I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray that that God can can change your perspective. And He loves changing our perspective on life. How does He do it? He loves changing our perspective by showing us the grace that Jesus paid for. I want to release you from the guilt maybe this morning by showing you the grace that Paul said. I want you to show you. Don't, don't worry about all those scubula, all those things that, that is absolute nonsense compared to Christ in your, in your life. Compared to what He wants to show you, wants to give you, wants, to, wants to, want you to mature in relationship with Him. God wants to show you His full grace. But we need to step out of that place of of law. Step out of that place of rules. Step out of that place of distraction in our lives to see more properly. That's why it's so important to have a devotional time every day so that you can switch off all the distractions in your life so that you can get your perspective on Christ. Get your perspective on the Word of God. So I want to pray with us this morning. and I want to invite you, if you feel that God is speaking to you this morning, I want you to to put your hand on your heart maybe and and just pray with me as I pray and just ask God that He will will bring you from that place of works and rules and legalism and really show you a place of grace that you don't have to perform that you don't have to try out of your own righteousness, try to get close to God, but But in faith, but by faith in Christ Jesus, be be the righteousness of God. So let's pray together. Let's trust God that He will touch your life today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you, Father, that you are so amazing. Father, we have no words to know that, to, to, to pray that we, by just knowing you, Father, is the greatest gift that any of us could ever receive. And Father, I want to pray for everyone watching this live stream. Maybe I don't know them. Maybe I've never met them. And maybe some of them say this morning that I've never got to meet my, my Savior, Jesus. And I want you, just as I'm praying with your eyes closed and your hand on your heart, just say this off to me this morning. Say, Dear, dear Jesus, I just want to give you my life this morning. I want to lay everything at your throne. Every sinful desire, every guilt trip, everything, every rule, every legalism. I want to lay at your throne this morning. And I want to give you my life. And I want to give you all authority over everything. And Father, I want to pray for everyone in in this live stream this morning. And I want, maybe there's people with, with guilt that's keeping them back from fully stepping into their calling fully stepping into that place of serving you in the kingdom. And Father, I want to pray that you release them from that guilt this morning and that you will show them the true and pure picture of your grace that freed us, that empowers us in every area of our lives. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstallenbosch.co.za.